Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. This is a packed Wednesday edition looking ahead to the Saints at Patriots game at the 12 noon central. Are we in Boston? Of course, you can always tune in. It'll be on Fox and we have a lot of friendly faces that'll be on that broadcast. We'll have Shannon Spake, who is a sideline reporter for that crew on the podcast on Friday. So we'll get some insight from her. But today we have a big lineup. We have the ESPN Patriots reporter, Mike Reese. And then we're going to be joined by Steve Gent, who's executive director of Sanderson Farms, the championship golf tournament that's coming up next weekend. It starts September 27th at the Country Club of Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi. I know we're coming off a tough loss on Sunday, but we have good things to look ahead to. It's only the third week of the season. So we're going to bring in Mike Reese and talk to him about this Patriots matchup on Sunday. Mike, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast with us today. How are you doing? Doing great. It's great to be with you, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Catch us up on all things Patriots. It's week three that we're heading into. Patriots are one and one. What have you liked so far from the team? Well, I guess I would start with this. Um, I hope you guys have a good trip to Mac, Massachusetts when you come up here <laughs> because that's sort of the whole theme is everyone's excited about Mac Jones, the rookie quarterback. And, and so I was actually walking down the, the road where the stadium is uh, the opening week when they were playing at home. And I saw this T-shirt that said entering Massachusetts. And I said, that is so <laughs> clever, right? So I took a picture of the fan who, who had it. Um, I think that's where I would start. You know, there's so many areas we can talk about with the Patriots, but probably should start with the rookie quarterback. It's a new era in New England, um, and he's doing great. You know, he's completed over 70% of his passes uh, through the first two games. Um, short, conservative approach in terms of the passing game. I think they're bringing him along, you know, and he's what he's doing is he's not losing them games. He's playing smart. Um one of the topics of discussion up here is why aren't they throwing it more down the field? Um, to me, it's a little bit of a nitpick, right? I mean, you play to win the game and he's doing what he needs to do to help them do that. They, they probably should be 2-0, and to be honest with you, Aaron, if they didn't fumble away uh, ball late in the season opener. So, so far, so good. They're really happy with Mac and the coaching staff. And so it was a 25-6 win last week over the Jets. You mentioned the offensive strategy here, more short passes. When do you think that they will open things up a little bit? When the pass protection gets better. That's probably the short answer. Um, the season opening game against the Dolphins, Mac took nine hits and the Dolphins blitzed them 45% of the time. Week two, the Jets came after him again and the Patriots have been having some trouble at right tackle. They're starting right tackle, Trent Brown, who, by the way, if he plays, you won't miss him. He's six foot eight, 380 pounds. So you, you literally can't miss him when you look out on the field. He, uh, he got injured uh, in the first series, actually, of the season. So they've been having trouble there. And they've been really, in a lot of ways, the short passing game is to protect Mac uh, because the protection itself has been a little bit shaky. So once that gets better, I would expect to see more shots down the field. And of course, part of that's like, how's the defense going to play him? Like if the Saints give... Mac an opportunity to throw the ball down the field, I, I think they can expect to see some shots if that's the way they decide to play it. Right now, the Patriots are trying to figure out who their next guy is going to be after the departure of Tom Brady. The Saints are kind of in the same position without Drew Brees here, hoping it's going to be Jameis Winston. How has the transition been, obviously last year going with Cam Newton and then this year with Mac Jones? 
So last year was so different with Cam. I mean, he was a great teammate and he did everything they asked for. He just played such a different style of quarterback than mm-hmm. everyone was used to seeing from the Patriots over 20 years of Bill Belichick as the coach, right? Like the way the Patriots play offensively is, you know, get the ball out on time, uh, empty formations, uh, set the protection, you know, at the line of scrimmage. A lot falls on the quarterback. You know, Cam plays a little bit of a different style than that. You know, he's going to run more, um, probably going to, you know, approach the passing game with maybe a, a little bit of a different approach. So now you go to Mac and it looks like the traditional Patriots passing game. And you'll see it all on Sunday. Um, you know, he'll, he'll be in the two minute, like they, they had a field goal on the two minute drive. It wasn't necessarily the greatest finish of that drive this past week, but you see the rhythm develop. Right. And, and I would say in the season opener, Mac was leading him down the field in the fourth quarter. And I kid you not, Aaron, I, I was like, this reminds me of Tom, like, and I'm not comparing him to Tom, but like the way he was leading the drive. So the signs are there that there's a foundation on which to build. And I think that's why the coaching staff is so encouraged with where they are right now, really probably faster than they thought it would be um, at this stage in Mac's career. Last week, we're going to talk defense here a little bit. Your defense, the Patriots had four interceptions, took advantage of some opportunities there. Do you see that as something that's going to continue and a strength of this football team? That's a good question because I would say of the four interceptions, I would say all four were gifts from Zach Wilson, the rookie quarterback of the Jets. So it's hard for me to say, like, I I would be surprised if Jameis throws them four, like we saw from Zach. Like, I actually think that's the exception, what we saw last week, than the rule. Now, they did have some good coverage. You know, that's not to take away from the coverage, but I thought it was a good example of when a quarterback, and I'm talking about Zach Wilson of the Jets now, you know, struggles with decision-making and accuracy. Like you sort of put the whole team at risk, right? And I know Jameis's history just from his time in Tampa, everyone talks about the season he had the 30 picks. I mean, I know I would certainly respect everyone around the league respects coach Peyton and the offensive system. I just, it's hard for me to believe like he would put Jameis in a position where, where he would even allow that to happen. You know what I mean? With the four picks. So I think the defense is good, Aaron, but I, I would say don't, you know, to expect what we saw last week is probably asking too much. Sure. Now, historically, since 2010, the Patriots and the Saints are the top scoring teams in the NFL. The only two teams that have scored over 5,000 points, obviously very different teams this year with different quarterbacks, different abilities there on the offensive side. How do you see this game playing out? Is it going to be a high scoring affair? You know, I've been thinking about it and I think I'm going to go more on the lower scoring side. You know, Patriots are still finding themselves on offense and I think their defense has shown some leaks in terms of run defense, but I think they'll tighten it up. It's still early. A lot of the players still sort of, I almost look at it as like extended preseason for some of these big defensive linemen who, you know, you don't have the same number of padded practices or preseason games to sort of fine tune your technique. So um, I think, I think lower scoring. And the, the other point I would want to make that I think is sort of interesting, and I'll be curious if Saints fans or followers agree, Mac has a little Drew Brees in him. Like he's not the biggest guy. You know, sometimes he's got to get up on those tippy toes to get it over the line, but he's, he's accurate. 
like over 70% um, completion percentage through the first two games. And he's just sort of got a little bit of like confidence to him, you know, like it's a quiet confidence. Um, and I know Drew actually thinks Mac was like one of the steals of the draft. So mm. I think that'll be something that'll be fun to hear from the Saints perspective. Like how much does this number 10 of the Patriots remind them of Drew and not to compare Mac to Drew because that's not really fair to Drew either. Like, come on, you know, like what a career, right? Max played two games, but just in terms of style of play, I think it's sort of a fun one this week to talk about. Yeah. Another fun thing that's happening during this game is halftime. Julian Edelman is going to get honored there. What is going to happen as far as that ceremony? And because kind of how cool is it going to be to have him back there? So he is beloved. So I will tell you when Julian used to come out on the field. So they announced like the Patriots before a game, like Julian would be the first player out of the tunnel and he would do like a, uh, call it like a 65 mile per hour sprint from end zone to end zone and start pumping his fists and fire up the fans. They responded to him and he responded to them. So there's like a love affair between the fans and Julian and Julian and the fans. So I think something for Saints followers to know you're coming into an environment, which is going to be pretty Highly emotional. Yeah. And at halftime, you know, I mean, who knows what the score is going to be at that point, but the idea would be, you know, you're giving the crowd something to really get fired up about, right? And they hope that that carries over to make life difficult for the Saints. Julian had a great career. You know, he came here in 2009 as a seventh round draft choice out of Kent State, where he was a quarterback. They switched him to receiver and punt returner, three-time Super Bowl champion, and really is a great example to me for any player of sort of how to just put your head down, go to work. First four years of his career didn't do much. Fifth year, the light goes on. Next thing you know, it takes off. Great stuff. Yeah, that'll be really fun. A player that I always enjoyed watching playing just as a fan of the NFL in general. Now, from that high note, I'm going to have to kind of pick at you guys a little bit because the next game you have is against the Bucks. So Tom Brady will be coming back. And ironically, he's on pace to break the NFL's passing yards record in that game against the Patriots. How weird is that? I mean, it's going to, I think they're calling it, and I believe it, Aaron, it's the most anticipated regular season game in the history of Boston sports, New England sports. Um, And I would say the record, like, great, great on the record, right? But like, Mm -hmm. to me, if we're focusing on the record, we're losing sight of what Tom is all about, like, to me, the records were always secondary to him than the rings, right? And he's got seven of them, seven Super Bowl rings. And you watch him now at age 44 and you say he almost looks better than he did at 34, at 24. It's like, how is he doing this? And, and I, you know, I would say I didn't get to see it from behind the scenes, but just being around, you do get a feel for how he commits his life to this like it's a lifestyle to play football for him and it's just to me it's so impressive and and just what he represents on the field off the field I just think it's a great example for anyone to look at and follow yeah there's probably a few tips I could pick up if I really want to you make this my lifestyle here (laughs) right (laughs) that's right that's right you might start with avocado ice cream I don't know if you ever tried it Erin I have not tried it I'm not opposed I'm not opposed to it so maybe I'll I'll look into that 
just to kind of bring this full circle back to the Saints Patriots game this upcoming Sunday, what are some areas that you see the Patriots could take advantage and maybe on the opposite side would be a disadvantage, something that the Saints could kind of capitalize on? Yeah, so um, good questions. Um, I would say special teams is always an area that I sort of look at only because it can often be overlooked. Um, you know, the Patriots have a kicker who's made 33 straight field goals and Nick Folk set a franchise record um, and an all pro punter in Jake Bailey. And so I, I and I'm talking more in general terms. I think when a, a team that plays in a dome comes to the northeast where sometimes, you know, you're dealing with wind and stuff like that. Um, special teams and the and the way that can set a physical tone like the Patriots build their roster with that in mind they actually have like five or six players who all they do is special teams like that's the main reason they're on and I'm not talking about kicker punter snapper like literally like coverage players or you know pass you know punt protection players so I would say that area of the game if you're coming up here like and you're the Saints you want to have that buttoned up on the flip side like if I'm Alvin Kamara and the Saints offense, I'm looking at the way the Patriots have defended the run the first two weeks of the season, and I'm seeing opportunity there. And I would test that because I think a nice way to develop a rhythm for Jameis and the offense would be to get that run game going, take a little pressure off them, you know, so it doesn't all rely on the passing game. Um, and the Patriots have to show that they can stop the run um, more consistently than they have at this point. Coming off of the game, for the Saints last weekend against the Panthers, I would assume that establishing the run is definitely going to be a priority for the Saints here. It's always something that they like to do. So we'll see how that one plays out. Anything else we should be looking out for in this matchup on Sunday? How about the head coaches? You know, like let's let's give them a nod here. So you have Bill Belichick, 69 years old, uh, has been coaching in the NFL since 1975. So like still at it, as motivated as ever. He loves Sean Payton and he respects Sean Payton so much. And he talks about how the volume of what the Saints do offensively is just so hard to prepare for. Um, the, you know, we know Sean has been with the Saints since 2006, if I'm not mistaken, if I have my facts right. So we're talking about two longest tenured head coaches with their team in the NFL. So let's acknowledge that. Like, it's hard like to keep it going, to keep your message fresh with your players, to keep things energized. And I think both coaches do a, a terrific job. And if you love football and you love like strategy, X's and O's, the nuance behind it, like a chess match with Bill Belichick and Sean Payton, like sign me up. I'm there. I can't wait to see it. I think it'll be great. And those two will definitely figure out a way to do the most with who they have on the field for sure. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you, get some insight on the Patriots. So hopefully we can talk to you again down the line. Definitely. I look forward to it. Should we set up like a date before the Super Bowl, maybe? Like, let's think yeah. optimistically. There right? we go. I like it. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was great. Great stuff with Mike Reese of ESPN. Really enjoyed the conversation with him. Lots of good tidbits on the game against the Patriots this upcoming weekend. Again, that's a noon kickoff on Fox. And now we're going to be joined by Steve Gent. He's the executive director of Sanderson Farms Championship Tournament that's coming up September 27th in Jackson, Mississippi. Steve, I know we are readily approaching the Sanderson Farms Championship Tournament. Really excited to talk to you today as the executive director of that tournament. When does everything get going? 
Oh, gosh. I, I think it all started the day after last year's tournament. Um, <laughs> I've got a thousand volunteers and a staff of six people that work all year long on this on this event. But really, it really kind of gets ratcheted up in, in the last two months leading up to the tournament when we start the build out on the golf course. And I think everybody really starts to see, hey, we're, we're almost there. But from a from a sponsorship still standpoint and volunteer signups, it's a it's a 365 day day process to get to this point. And the tournament itself starts on September 27th. What are some of the events surrounding the actual tournament that fans can attend? Sure. I mean, we're, we're close to the general public on Monday and Tuesday, and, and we do have the John Souls Foods Prime on Monday, um, a uh, all-star kids clinic on Tuesday for special needs um, kids in our community. The First Tee does a clinic on Monday also. But then when fans get started on Wednesday, we've got our Allen Exploration Program on Wednesday all day long. Um, and then the competition starts Thursday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the actual uh, competition stage. We'll make a cut of low 65 players and ties on Friday. And then Sunday afternoon, we'll, we'll, we'll crown a champion in about uh, six central. But um, there's a lot of activities for fans all throughout the week. Um, great concessions. We'll be selling a lot of chicken um, and just some fun times out on the golf course. Yeah, speaking of chicken, talk to me about the trophy here. Yeah, this is uh, this is Reveille. So um, Reveille is, you know, the call to get up in the morning. And uh, Joe Sanderson named the trophy back in 2014. But it's a it's about a 40 pound bronze Chanticleer rooster. Um, this is our perpetual trophy. It's got the names it kind of rotates. It got all the names of all of our past champions on there. And um, on it's presented to the uh, to the winner uh, on that championship Sunday. The the, the winner will actually get about a three, four size version to sit on his mantle at home. But um, probably one of the most quickly becoming one of the most iconic trophies on the PGA Tour. There's not a, anything quite quite like that. Yeah, a Chanticleer. I would say that's pretty unique. Now, Sergio Garcia, who won last year and he is returning again, will be participating in the tournament. Who are some of the other names that we should look forward to that are competing? Yeah, we've, we've got several major past champions in the field. Uh, Jimmy Walker is is in the field. Lucas Glover's won the U.S. Open. Uh, Keegan Bradley's won the PGA Championship. Um, and uh, you, so we've got uh, those major champions. Gary Woodland, 2019 U.S. Open champion. Um, see, then several folks have won uh, the Players' Championship. Siwoo Kim. Um, and uh, you've got probably 32 players that have won in the last two and a half years on the PGA Tour. And then... Um, you know, you've got several players that have been here in the past that are defending. So obviously Sergio's coming back to defend Sebastian Munoz from 2019, um, 2017 with Ryan Armour, Cody Gribble from 2016, um, Peter Malnati in 2015, and then Nick Taylor from 2014. So we've got quite a few great players, past champions, major championship winners, and the field is not final until – uh, players commit this Friday at five o'clock. So there's, I think we still got some surprises coming our way. Okay. And when it's all said and done, it's going to be 144 people participating in the tournament. 144 players in the field fighting each other for a $7 million purse, a um, 500 FedEx cup points to the winner, and basically a three-year exemption on the PGA tour. Wow. And since 1968, I know you've re you've, since 1968, you've raised over $19 million to contribute to charity, different organizations. Who are some of those organizations that you're hoping to contribute to this year? 
Yeah, our, our primary charity is Children's of Mississippi, uh, the only children's hospital in the state of Mississippi. And um, we benefit them through a donation to Friends of Children's Hospital. So that's that's our biggest one. Last year, we gave $1.45 million, which was $100,000 more than a year. So really proud of that. In a COVID year, we were able to actually beat what we did the uh, year year prior. Um, we also give about another $250,000, $260,000 to about another 60 charities. So uh, the first tea and stew pot and make a wish and mustard seed. So um, really proud of the fact that, you know, in addition to what we do for children's, um, we, we create a huge impact for charity here in the state of Mississippi. Absolutely. And you mentioned COVID last year, but this year fans are allowed to be in attendance, really looking forward to everybody being out there. Yeah. I know you guys are excited to have them. Yeah, last year was just different. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, it. Uh, we were it, we were the first pro tournament back last year with both of our pro-ams. So um, that was huge. There hadn't been really had pro-ams back since the spring. Um, so we were able to have pro-ams back. But yeah, when, when the tournament started on Thursday and it was just guys and their caddies out there on the golf course, it just, it was lonely. I mean, we had volunteers, albeit not as many of them. Um, but it was just a lonely feeling knowing that, you know, this is the best field we'd ever had at that point, and no one can see it. We, we still had a global TV audience, uh, you know, over 300 million households, but to be able to have those fans on site and the energy they create, um, you know, when there was 50 of us around the 18th green watching Sergio uh, hit, hit that putt and, and win the title, knowing that we could have had 5,000 people around the green, um, we are, we're really excited to have people back this year. So uh, it's, it's going to be different. I bet. And now, how can fans get tickets? Um, everything for the tournament you can find on our website, which is SandersonFarmsChampionship.com, including um, how to buy tickets. Uh, we work with Ticketmaster. Everything is mobile this year. So if you go online, purchase a ticket, you'll just download it on your phone and, sh and show it at the gate when you get here. Um, everything we have on there about schedule of events, the player field. We do still have some COVID policies that are both um, relevant to the city of Jackson and the PGA tour. So we're going to ask spectators to wear masks on the shuttle buses and um, any place on site uh, if you're not vaccinated and you can't uh, social distance. Um, but e really everything for spectators is outdoors and, um, you know, just looking forward to having everybody back. Well, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about the tournament with us. I know everyone's looking forward to it. It should be a fun event to follow in the upcoming week. Thank you. We are we're really excited about it. Still a lot of work to be done in the last week, but um, we're excited to have everybody back. And um, we'll crown a great champion again on uh, Sunday, October 3rd. Thanks to Steve Gent for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to go to that tournament, you can get tickets at www.sandersonfarmschampionship.com. It is open to the public. Should be a fun time. And of course, we'll be looking forward to the Saints at Patriots this Sunday. Our Friday guest, Shannon Spake, will be the sideline reporter for Fox on that one. So we'll get a lot of insight from her on what to expect in the Patriots game this coming Sunday. And before we go, we want to acknowledge Willie Garson, who passed yesterday at the age of 57. He was a longtime Saints fan. 
We had him on the Black and Blue Report several years ago. Definitely was a fun character in a lot of different roles as Stanford in Sex and the City and Mozzie in White Collar. Definitely keep his family in your thoughts and prayers. Really excited to start bringing you these podcasts as a video element as well. So these podcasts will play in their entirety on YouTube starting this Friday. So look forward to seeing that interview with Shannon Spake on our YouTube page, as well as listening to it at NewOrleansSaints.com. And of course, the app presented by Verizon. Thank you so much for joining us for this Wednesday edition. I'm Erin Summers. Talk to you again on Friday.